0: Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. Well, that is right, my friends. You are listening to a very special Thanksgiving edition of the Todd Huff Show, and it is good to be here. I appreciate you joining us this day before, this day before Thanksgiving, which, as I've said before, as I've said before, is. I think my favorite holiday I really I really believe that and um uh, it is with that in mind plus plus what I had um seen or what I had heard I guess I should say um in the past from Rush Limbaugh this I want to do my part tiny tiny little part here in carrying on the tradition that Rush started uh, over 30-some years. I think it would have been 32 years ago, I believe, um, where he told the true story of Thanksgiving on his radio show the Wednesday before Thanksgiving each and every year. And we're going to do that today. So, I want to set the stage a little bit here. Um, By the way, email the same, Todd at ToddHuffShow.com. I welcome to hear from you. I do. I welcome feedback, thoughts, anything. And I always say adoration and praise. Of course, I'm kidding, but not exactly. Um, again, Todd ToddHuffShow.com. You can also connect with us on our online community. Community.ToddHuffShow.com is where that is. And it is good. Uh, good to be here. And I... When I was a listener, and I, I bear with me here, I need to set this up, and because this this is important to me for lots of reasons. Number one, number one, as I mentioned, Thanksgiving is, I think, my favorite holiday, and I there's a couple of reasons for that, but I think at its core, the reason it is my favorite is because it, out of the major holidays, I feel like, I think, and feel like it has. Maintained its integrity the most against commercialization. Now, I'm not against people, um, you know, trying to use reasons to get people into their stores, but at the same time, I don't want holidays to be forgotten, the reason and rationale that we have them and celebrate them. And so I like Thanksgiving for the reason that I think. I think that it is. Excuse me. I've been fighting this. I guess it's a sinus infection, um, per my medical professional. But um, sometimes I have a little issue and get a tickle in my throat. So that's what happened there. But I, I Thanksgiving is important to me, right? Thanksgiving is a holiday that, in addition to, I think keeping uh, it's self-free from the most commercialization, I think. Again, you could say, well, Todd, there's Black Friday, and I get it, I get it, but it does wait until after Thanksgiving, and there's not the equivalent of all the stuff that happens at, say, Christmas time, or even, I would say, Easter time. I mean, really, when you get down to it, the holiday, you, you get with, together with family, friends, whatever, you have a big dinner, if you're like most Americans, and it probably involves turkey, um, my family, you know, we have turkey and noodles, and my grandma still insists, by the way, on making Thanksgiving dinner, which I I love. Uh, so for my life, and I'm 40, what am I, I'm 43, I'll be 44 here in about a month or so, but my, my grandma, my entire life, has made Thanksgiving uh, dinner. Um, in fact, this is the... F- there was one year when my grandfather was in the hospital. Uh, the days prior to his passing, we didn't have Thanksgiving dinner. But besides that one, this, this year is the only other year that we won't be there for Thanksgiving. So it's important to me. I love, I love seeing family. I love the meal. I used to really love watching the football games afterwards. I'm much less inclined for that particular portion of it nowadays, but it's still okay. So I love the holiday, and I'm also drawn to the fact that Zig Ziglar, who also had a tremendous impact on me as a young, as a young man, when I first got into I don't want to make this all about my history, but just to to, to give you reasons here is what I'm doing. That this is so important to me. But when I graduated college, for those of you that listened any length of time or know the backstory, you know that I was a horse farmer for a while. I ran a standard bred horse farm in a tiny little town called hall indiana and it was there that i first started listening to rush Uh, and i would literally arrange my day keep in mind i was listening to him on a walkman and i would put the ear protectors right the when you're driving tractors or whatever i'd put those over my walkman so i could hear rush and he was on from one to four when i found out he was live noon to three and i didn't get him till one to four really bothered me but that's another story altogether but I listened to Rush on that farm, and I mean, from day one, the guy had me. The brilliance, the ability to articulate ideas, explain things, I just had an immediate connection. And I would plan my day around one to four when I could, you know, because that's when I could listen, right? And, and so I wanted to make sure I was doing things during that time of the day that were more, most conducive to my ability... Uh, To listen to the radio And so I did that And ran that horse farm for a few years But then the next phase After I left the horse farm I got into sales I was in a sales position And the sales trainer that I had the most admiration for Was a guy by the name of Zig Ziglar And now both Zig has passed And Rush as you know has passed He passed earlier this year from lung cancer And so these were two Forces of nature that had tremendous impact on my life. And Zig Ziglar would say, the healthiest of all emotions is that of gratitude. And so I think about that. I think about the Thanksgiving holiday. I think think about all the things that I have, all the blessings that I have. Folks, dare I say all the blessings that we have. I don't know what you're going through personally. And that's not meant to be a preachy statement or, you know, to, to... tell you to get your head on right or anything like that. It is literally meant to say, you know, we all have, at some point, we're going to have some difficulties in life. Loss of a loved one, um, you know, divorce, financial problems, God forbid, loss of, uh, you know, the health, whatever, all sorts of these things. Those happen That has happened throughout the history of the world to all people, regardless of what type of society or place they live in. But this place, this place that we know as America, we have so much to be thankful for. So, so much. This place has revolutionized life as it is on planet Earth. And if we go back in our history and we look back to when this nation was founded and those brave souls, we we often, we, we read over words. I notice this sometimes when when we, well, when I study the Bible, when we, I don't mean to imply you, but a lot of people I think too, you read over words and you don't, the full magnitude just can't, it it doesn't impact us because we read it on a page and the person who wrote it, or the person who lived it, experienced it, right? And so I think about this, and again, I don't want to make this a sermon, but I think about this when I think of, uh, of Moses. Moses lived to be 120, his life broken up roughly into four, or excuse me, three 40-year periods. First 40, he was kind of, you know, the man, one of the top men in charge in, in uh, Egypt. He was from, you know, the Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's family raised by Pharaoh's daughter, but also was was raised as a young child by his Hebrew mother who taught him about the Bible. So he had those 40 years. Then he struck and killed a man who was abusing a Hebrew slave at the time, and he fled. He fled to this place called Midian, and he lived 40 years. And I'm convinced that Moses thought that his time to be influential or have any you know, ability to leave a mark on this world ended when he fled at, at Egypt, fled and went to Midian. And he lived there for 40 years and was a, what raised animals and so forth, had a family, but was pretty much isolated. It wasn't, wasn't the guy like he was in, in Egypt. And then God came to him and he said, Moses, and this is the story of the burning bush. And he said, come, come back. I'm going to call you back to have Pharaoh let my people go. And then those last 40 years of his life involved the le- the exodus, the taking of the Hebrew people, the Israelites, out of Egypt, out of slavery and bondage, right? The celebration of the Passover and the 10 plagues and all that stuff. And then the right to the brink, because he didn't get to go to the promised land, but right there to the brink of the promised land. That was when he passed the baton To Joshua, that was the last 40 years of his life. The reason I point that out, and of course you can read that story, but you'll read sentences where something might have happened 40 years later in Moses' life. And that is how words on a page don't possibly, it's just not possible for them to have the same impact that they've had on the person that lived it, right? And so I'm saying that because when I think about this nation, as I just thought about the biblical passage as well, when I think about that and I look at what we have, I mean, we, you know, as, as Rush used to say this too, the history for a lot of folks begins with the day that they were born. And he's really right on that as well. People oftentimes perspectives, our perspectives, others' perspectives are tainted by our own experience here on On Earth. And when you live in the most prosperous, technologically advanced, I think best place ever on planet Earth, your perspective is can be skewed. You can't see the amount of suffering. You can't relate. I can't relate. I can read and try to understand. Try my my darndest because really these ideas are what made us this a special place. It's not in our DNA. Right, The blessing of God and and embracing these ideas that are rooted in truth led to all this prosperity and goodness in this country, this influence. America is, I know it is not popular to say today, but America is a shining city on a hill. Turns out Reagan was right, folks. This is a wonderful place, especially when properly understood against all the brutality, and tyranny, and slavery, and oppression that big governments, power-hungry people, dictators have heaped upon their people throughout history. And so it is with that a little bit of backdrop here. And forgive me, I don't have any notes. I'm just speaking to you from the heart today. I just wanted to say those things at the beginning to recognize that I first heard this from Rush, and I'm going to reference Rush's, what is this? This is his second book. See, I Told <laughs> told You So. That's the name of the book. First book was called The Way Things Ought to Be. This book was written, I don't know, early early to mid-90s, I think. See, I Told You So by Rush Limbaugh. He tells this, this story, the this story of the first Thanksgiving, and we're going to do that today. I'm going to tell it, and it's going to come from what I've learned from Rush. And I want all credit to be given to him and to his team who've you know done the, the heavy lifting and the research and just putting this story together so that we know it. I'm doing this, A, I don't know, I'm torn because Rush was, uh, his, his impact on me, sometimes I, I, I've referenced it on here, but it is, it is remarkably powerful on me. I would, I simply would not be here doing this today. I don't want to. <laughs> I want to be careful here. God has, God has called me to to do what I do. But as far as a person that was a role model and an inspiration, oh, there's no one that's close to to what Rush was. And I know some of you don't like him. Try to see past that. Maybe, you know, maybe let me say. If you listen to me and don't like him, try not to focus too much that, that he said it. I don't want the the truth or the lesson to be missed here. Um But he was one of a kind. There will never be another Rush Limbaugh. There will even when he was when he was alive and doing a show, everyone else was playing for second place. A distant, distant second place. This guy was the true master, inspiration, brilliant i just i have a lot of admiration so that's one reason i want to do this in his honor but it's not just a gimmick right and this isn't just something that i'm doing because rush did it i'm doing it because this is important and at this time of year the the day before thanksgiving i want i just want this tradition i want this story to be known i want the tradition to continue in what little way that i can actually have an impact in doing that. And so that's what we're doing today. So when we get back, i want to start by telling you the true story of Thanksgiving. I'm going to reference Rush's book, See, I Told You So, which is where he writes about this. He also writes about it in one of his children's books. I don't have that one here in front of me, but what's it? Rush Revere and the Brave Pilgrims, I think is the name of the book. Don't hold me to that exactly, but I think that's the name. I think we have that at home, the kids' Have read that. I think I've got it on Audible, to be quite honest with you. Anyway. Anyway, anyway. Timeout is in order. Gonna get back from the break. Tell this story. I absolutely love this. This, (laughs) folks, this is my favorite day of the year. I love doing this show, but I gotta tell you, if you're listening today, this is this is it doesn't get any better than this for me. This is where it's at. I love it. I love reliving the memory of hearing these stories. I love sharing them with you. I love the lesson that it holds. I love being able to remember uh, Rush and and to be able to continue this tradition. So bear with me today. This is uh, exciting, but it is a little emotional, I'll be honest with you. It truly, truly is. So timeout is in order. Come back and pick up and tell the story. Listening to Conservative Not Bitter Talk, I'm your host, Todd Huff, here on this Thanksgiving Thanksgiving weekend, back in just a minute. Welcome back, my friends. Special Thanksgiving edition of the Todd Huff Show, and we're going through through this story, the true story of Thanksgiving. Again, I am doing this. This is something that Rush would do, and I am doing this uh, in his honor in a sense but also to carry on the tradition so a lot of um, well I mean the bulk of what I'm getting here is from him and I just want that to be clear this is um, this is something that I I, I want to do in his honor but also not just in his honor but This is important stuff. I mean, we stand at this crossroads here in this nation, ideological crossroads, and we have to embrace, we have to embrace constitutional conservatism, not socialism. And that is why this story is so, is so important. And so, this is in chapter six of his book, See, I Told You So. The chapter title is Dead White Guys or What Your History Books Never Told You. And so, most people, most people think, when they think of Thanksgiving, they think that the pilgrims landed, right? The Plymouth uh the pilgrims landed in Plymouth, Massachusetts. They started this this colony and they basically got to um, through the first year because of the Native Americans. The Native Americans helped them figure everything out. The uh the pilgrims are a bunch of idiots. This is This is kind of how this is taught in some places, right? A bunch of idiots and morons and couldn't survive. Now, pause. Pause for a moment. It is true that the Native Americans helped the pilgrims. There's no question about that. In fact, Rush writes specifically in his children's books about Squanto, who taught the pilgrims to do a lot of things. And so this isn't about saying whether or not the Native Americans helped them or not. This is about saying, what what is really the motivation behind Thanksgiving? What is the, the, the true story? What were they really thankful for? And to whom were they really thankful? Because the story goes, the pilgrims, for a lot of folks anyway, a lot of folks were taught some version of the pilgrims were a bunch of idiots who didn't know how to feed themselves. I mean, I, I'm using a little bit of hyperbole here, right? To, to kind of, um, I guess, illustrate the point bunch of idiots they don't understand that food's necessary it's, you know the winter came and they're in Massachusetts they didn't even land where they intended to land blah 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 right indians native americans came in took care of them saved the day and so the pilgrims as a showing of gratitude to the native americans said we want to have this feast and this is a, you know we're, we're thankful to you which is not, not the story. And this is the point. This is the whole point. And this is uh, what Rush wanted to make sure people understood. And I think it's important. So the pilgrims, they were from England. And the pilgrims, the pilgrims experienced religious persecution. In fact, for life in England during the time of the pilgrims in the 1600s, um you basically did what the state church said. And so the pilgrims were separatists. They they believed their conscience said, I don't want to practice my religion that way. And that was not accepted. It I mean, again, we're talking about England, right? This isn't this isn't the Islamic Republic of Iran or some such thing. This is England in the 1600s. All right, so I had to take a little drink there. So the Pilgrims first went to Holland to get some freedom, to try to start their own um, settlement, or you know, to, to break away from that that tyranny, that religious persecution of of, of sorts. And so they were in Holland for some time. And, but still were intrigued by taking, taking it to the new world, taking, you know, to to settle this place, this brand new place and to take their faith there. And of course, all that comes along with that, but to establish a place where they could really just be it's them and God, right? The new world, this was exciting. And so eventually they got financed. They were financed by um, a bunch of Merchants, and the merchants required, the merchants required that when the pilgrims got there and settled, that everyone in that community, in that pilgrim community, which is a little confusing, there were so there was one ship called the Mayflower. There was an attempt to take two ships, but they had to return back to port. I believe, I think twice. Uh, The other ship wasn't able to you know, meet the challenges or, it was, you know, they had to return to port. So they ended up taking one ship. I think it was a hundred, there were 102 people on that ship called the Mayflower and the Mayflower, you'll hear different, <laughs> different size estimates. Seems to me that it was about 80 feet long, 75, 80 feet long. And I 20 some, maybe 25 feet wide, something in that vicinity, and they took that across the Atlantic Ocean, my friends, and they left they left uh, they they left port in uh, August, I believe of uh, 1620 and they sailed. I mean, they set sail and then that's this is a place to pause for a moment. You know, you think about the challenges, the difficulties, I mean, here I am on a you know a, a microphone with a soundboard using a, a computer and software and then this show uploads as a podcast we have a mobile studio I, I mean it is so far 400 just almost exactly 400 401 years ago right when this all really happened and the you know, you look at ships. We were just recently in both Fort Lauderdale and and also in San Diego, and we saw ships in port. We saw we saw military ships, um, whether they were, um, you know, retired ships that were now museums or cruise ships in port. Or I saw I, I've seen even some some military ships. In fact, one this is several years ago my family and I were traveling across the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel System, which if you haven't done is phenomenal. I mean, just an amazing feat of our, of, uh, of engineering. It's 20, I don't know, 22 miles, 24 miles of bridge and tunnel. There's, I think, three tunnels in the system. So it's one big bridge. I think there's at one point, semi-close to the middle, there's an island of sort. I think it's a I think I don't know if it's a an island that's created from where they've dredged to to make the system or if it's a natural island I'm not sure but it's this bridge tunnel system has three tunnels I think they're each about a mile in length I believe 20 some mile total distance I bring this up because we were traveling through we were on the, one of the bridge portions and we looked up and saw the George H W Bush you know I'm going to mess this it's one of the, I don't know if it's the HW or the W bush it's an aircraft carrier you can look it up to see which one but it was it was literally it went over us when we were in the next tunnel like we could see it about to cross our face as we were taking that bridge tunnel system and the point is the pilgrims didn't have any of that right the pilgrims had a small ship going across the ocean with lots of people this was a risky venture this was the end of summer when they left but they don't land until november of of 1620 further north of where they intended to be and they didn't have the opportunity they weren't there in time to plant crops there's they don't have buildings built there's not a you know they can't get an uber they can't make hotel reservations there's no um there's no grocery stores no you know, DoorDash, there's none of that. There's no super centers, Walmarts, none of that stuff exists, right? Obviously, they land in November, and it's up to them. And the the merchants required, I started to say this, that everyone had an equal share. Every pilgrim who was involved in that, um, that colony, would be given one equal share of what the group produced and put into the bank. And so, you know, whether that person worked 20 hours a day or didn't work for 20 straight days, they were entitled to the same amount. And so they were effectively, effectively socialists when they landed. And so they, they make the trek, they land at Plymouth, Plymouth Rock, right? Massachusetts, They they get off, they set up the colony, they... I mean, we're right at the beginning of winter, and it was a brutal, brutal first winter. Brutal first winter, killing 40, 44, 45 of the pilgrims uh, of that 102 people um, who made that voyage, which it's unclear to me if – I don't know if they were all pilgrims. I don't know exactly – the story is that 40 of them were pilgrims. But anyway, half of that 102 died that first winter, almost half. And one of those dead, one of those who succumbed to uh, the conditions and so forth from that first winter was William Bradford's wife, and I believe her name was Dorothy. I talked about this on the TV show earlier this week. So that's what happened. So they land 1620 into 1621, terrible winter. It's rough. It's terrible. It's bad. Half of them, roughly half of them dead. And so they got to figure this out quickly because they cannot sustain that. That is that is not a good situation. So going to take a timeout, pick up where we uh, right here where we left off after the break. Sit tight my friends back here in just a minute. Right, my friends, welcome back. We're going through the true story of Thanksgiving. In fact, I'm going to pick up here where we left off. I'm actually going to read from page 71 of Rush's book here really briefly. Just bear with me. This is a good part of the story. Bradford, William Bradford, who had become the new governor of the colony, recognized that this form of collectivism, the collectivism we talked about in the last segment, right, that the pilgrims were all to have an equal share of, um, in the community bank, everyone owned the same amount regardless of how much they put in uh, to making the community a better place or profitable or whatever, how much work they they put in to produce. He found that that was as costly and destructive to the pilgrims as that first harsh winter, which had taken so many lives. He decided to take bold action, Rush writes, Bradford assigned a plot of land to each family to work and manage, thus turning loose the power of the marketplace. That's right. Long before Karl Marx was even born, the Pilgrims had discovered and experimented with what could only be described as socialism. And what happened? It didn't work. Surprise, surprise, huh? What Bradford and his community found was that the most creative and industrious people had no incentive to work any harder than anyone else unless they could utilize the power of personal motivation. But while most of the rest of the world has been experimenting with socialism for well over a hundred years, trying to refine it, perfect it, and reinvent it, the Pilgrims decided early on to scrap it permanently. What Bradford wrote about this social experiment should be taught at every school child's history lesson. If it were, we might prevent much needless suffering in the future. Yes, he's exactly correct on this. And this is quoting William Bradford himself. And this is, of course, is written 400 years ago. So it's, uh, I mean, it's, it doesn't flow like it would today, but it's still, let's, let's listen to this. The experience that was had in this common course and condition tried sundry years that by taking away property and bringing community into a commonwealth would make them happy and flourishing as if they were wiser than God, Bradford wrote. For this community, so far as it was, found to breed much confusion and discontent and retard much employment that would have been to their benefit and comfort. For young men that were most able and fit for labor and service did repine that they should spend their time and strength to work for other men's wives and children's without any recompense. That was thought in justice. And that was from Bradford. This is Rush. I'm going to read this last paragraph just to close this this page up here. Do you hear what he was saying, ladies and gentlemen? The pilgrims found that people could not be expected to do their best without uh, best work without incentive. So, what did Bradford's community try next? They tried unharnessed. Excuse me. They unharnessed the power of good old free enterprise by invoking the undergirding capitalistic principles of private property. Every family was assigned its own plot of land to work and permitted to market its own crops and products. And what was the result? This is what Bradford wrote again. They had very good, this had very good success, wrote Bradford, for it made all hands industrious so as, industrious, so as much more corn was planted than otherwise would have been. That's what he said. Remarkable. Rush also continues, Bradford doesn't sound like Much of a Clintonite, of course, this was written in the 90s, does he? Is it possible that supply-side economics could have existed before the 1980s? Yes. Read the story of Joseph and Pharaoh in Genesis 41. Following Joseph's suggestion, Pharaoh reduced the tax on the Egyptians to 20% during the seven years of plenty, and the earth brought forth in heaps. So this, of course, led to prosperity so much more that they had to set up trading posts, Set up uh, ways to exchange goods with the Indians. The profits allowed them, not the profits, P-R-O-P-H, the profits as in financial profits, uh, allowed them to pay off their debts to those merchants that funded their trip to the uh, to the New World more quickly. And success and prosperity of the Plymouth settlement attracted more Europeans and began what came to be known as the Great. Puritan migration. My oh my, what a lesson. Quick time out, friends. Back in just a minute. Welcome back, my friends. So, this is again, I'm continuing this tradition that was established by Rush. Of, of the story of of thanks of thanksgiving. And we've established that effectively what ultimately led to the prosperity of the pilgrims was the opposite of what we are being taught in America today. We are being taught that prosperity comes prosperity comes from um well I don't even know that we're taught about pro. We're taught now. There's a push now towards believing that what is right and just is socialism, which the Pilgrims rejected nearly 400 years ago through personal experience. And we should embrace that tradition. We should embrace what they learned, and we should share. And this, we got to wrap up here today. I could talk about this for a long time, but I think. Of all the things to be thankful for, I think that we should list, and far be it for me to tell you what to list, but I think we should list in that, well, in that list, I think we should number in that list our gratitude for being American, and specifically, not again, not because being American, this is not about whatever we, <laughs> who, who discovered what, right? I mean, this isn't about America uh being superior just because we're american i mean what made america great were these ideas and that that we were revealed those and that people throughout the history uh history of the world have given thanks to god for revealing or showing this were these were deeply re- religious people deeply devout folks who understood that these lessons uh came came from god he they gave thanks for i mean this this is a better we should give thanks for following a better way i guess i should say for having a better way to follow than than the pilgrims had when they first first came here we should be thankful for freedom and free markets liberty the constitution our founders should be thankful for western thought we we should be we should be Thankful for common law We should be thankful for those that have gone before us That sought to find ways To live as free people Not as subjects to some authority Or some other ruler But instead as free people We owe them so much So many things to be thankful for The prosperity, the blessings of being American Are at times innumerable They really are so that's the lesson of the first, the, the pilgrims, the first Thanksgiving. And it's something that we need to pass along. So I hope that was informative, helpful, uh, interesting, and something that we can share with our children because it's important to understand that we have a solid foundation by building this nation upon freedom and free markets and capitalism. We should continue to move towards those things, not away from them as the radical left tries to take us today. Quick time out. I want to come up and have some cl- uh, concluding remarks on Thanksgiving and share my gratitude with you as well. Back in a minute. All right, my friends. Final segment here. It's going to be a short one, but I just want to express my gratitude. I am grateful. I am grateful to be American. I am grateful to have the opportunity to sit behind this microphone. I am grateful to you. The folks that tune into this program each and every day, I have a profound respect and love and I am I'm humbled that you tune in and listen to this program. I'm thankful for our advertisers and sponsors. Folks, I have the I have the blessing of, of dealing with some of the absolute best people that I just that I know. I mean, just phenomenal people. And I am grateful in so many ways. I hope, with all that being said, that you have a happy Thanksgiving holiday. Have a great weekend. I will see you back here Monday. SDG, folks. God bless. Happy Thanksgiving.